You're listening to the iRacers Lounge Podcast, where we discuss everything iRacing in a casual setting. Enjoy. Welcome to the iRacers Lounge. I am your host, Mike Ellis. iRacers Lounge is a podcast for the iRacer, where we talk all things iRacing in a casual setting. Joining me are the usual characters, David Hall. Happy New Year. Greg Hectus. Hey, everybody. Will Gibson. Hey, how's it going, guys? And special guest, Mitchell Hunt. Going on, fellas? Hey, welcome. Thanks for coming. Well, Mitchell Hunt, thanks for coming on today. Uh, we know you through uh, High Motorsports, uh, HPM, as they're commonly known, uh, a team that uh, fields peak drivers. But we'll talk about that later. First, I want to get to know you a little bit as a driver yourself. Let's go to the beginning. When did you first hear the word iRacing, and what did you do about it? So I think I got introduced to iRacing back in, I think it was mid-08, I think it was. Um, I was doing, I really wasn't big into NR2003. I think, I mean, that's pretty much where most guys came from. Um, I dabbled a little bit in it, but um, I think around that time, once I started doing a little bit of uh, 2K3 racing, iRacing was coming out, or it was in like the late beta stages. And uh, so I kind of had my eye on it then, and then kind of once it kind of officially released is uh, when I joined. Uh, I think that was right at the beginning of '09, maybe. I'm not 100% sure. It's been it's been a while. So ever since then, I've I've been over here, and it's just been on here ever since. So so you would say it's a founding member. You started when it started, right? Close, close. I'm right there. Yeah. It's about the exact same time I started. It's well, been a while, so. Okay, very good. Now, I went and kind of Googled your uh, name uh, and I, the word iRacing, and I came up with a bunch of links uh, throughout the years. Uh, most of them naming you as a, a, dra- a driver in the Pro Series or the series formerly known as Peak. Uh, tell us a brief history of, of how you've run in those series and, and uh, it, it, you know, over the years. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't... Um... Uh, where do you begin? Um, I think I've done pro probably every single year that it's been around. Um, even when I have been in peak, I've always been outside the top 20 or whatever it was. Um, so I've had to do pretty much pro every single year, I think, it feels like. Um, but I mean, it's been, a, it's been a long, stressful, I guess, season or career, if you want to put it that way. Um with iRacing in that aspect as far as pro and peak. Um, I mean, I've been pretty much with HPM for since it started, I think, in 09 or 10, something like that. But um, I'm pretty much out of the mentality of, you know, first or last. Um, I've had plenty of good runs in peak. I think um, most of them probably end up with me wrecking. But I think I've had a couple, a couple top fives here and there. And... When I have finished there, I thought a few laps, and I did. It, I'm, I made it look good while I was up there, but at the same time, uh, most of them didn't end well. Okay, and then what is your role like in 2019, this last year? Uh, what was your role with HPM, and and what was going on there? So, um, pretty much driver, setup builder. I think uh, it's. I couldn't name off all the people that were with us in 19. It's been. It feels like. There's been like a dozen or two, um, but the main guys for the most part were uh, 
me, Morse, um, Jeremy Allen. Uh, I think there were a couple others. I I'm terrible with names, um, so I I will forget people's names. I forget. I don't remember half the people that I even race with. Um, but other than those three, I think there's there's a couple more. I don't remember the names, but those are the three main guys that we would work together with and uh, try and get something together, something race ready. So pretty much a setup builder and driver for the most part. Okay, very good. Um, let's talk about uh, what are you running uh, these days uh, as far as series. Uh, one thing I notice when I look at your profile, I don't see a lot of starts uh, for somebody who's been on the service a lot. Uh, as far as how many starts, uh, so are you know it's not running official much? Yeah, um, I don't do a lot of official stuff anymore compared to when I first started. Um, I think as the sims progressed, I mean, just the time it takes to be competitive with setups, it just, I mean, it's, can't do it alone, it feels like, especially when you're doing it across, you know, two or three different series. Um Usually, if I can, I mean, I used to just pick one series and just do a ton of races with that once I had a good setup, but now it's kind of to the point with, you know, you got other commitments you got to take care of first, and then by the time you are able to actually do laps, you don't really want to, or when you do, you can only, really only focus on one series, so um, that's pretty much the reason why. So most of my starts are pretty much all pro series starts, at least for the last few years. Um, that takes at least a majority of it, and just to being competitive with those, I mean, that two-week gap or whatever it is for the races, I mean, you you literally spend those two weeks just working on a setup sometimes, just, uh, just to be competitive, so. Okay, uh, overall winning percentage in Oval, 20.6 on the on the official side, and then on official road, 22.2 overall winning percentage, so pretty good numbers, uh, with just those small count of starts. Uh, tell us what you think about that change to the road to pro. Uh, you've been in the pro series from the beginning. Um, it sounds like, and then a couple of years back, they, they, they said, okay, we're going to have the truck series. Uh, and then you have to be in the B car and then you go to the peak. Uh, what do you think about that change? Has it hurt or helped you? Um, I like it. Um, just the way it's formatted. I'm not too big a fan of, um, I don't necessarily like spending the, six or seven months, whatever it is, in the truck series just to make the, I guess, Road to Pro series now and only race for, you know, two months, I think it is. Um, so, I mean, the actual, well, I guess that's Pro series. The Road to Pro series with the truck series is just an absolute grind. So, I mean, that's, I would kind of change that format up a little bit. Um, I think uh, a few years back, they did, uh, I think, the f top, 10 or 20 in, uh, points at the end of the season made pro. Um, I think it was for the A car, though. Um, I wouldn't mind something like that or something similar to that. Um, I think that would... I mean, it would benefit me a lot more. Um, and then I think for pro, um, I mean, I don't mind the 40 starting cars, I think it is now. Um, I think if they did, so, did change it, um, I think I would be a lot happier with snake splits coming back. Um, I think those are definitely the way to go. I think when they did those, I think back in like 2009 or 2010, they had like 250 cars and just did a snake split with those. Um, I mean, that was 
old tire model, the old I think B car, which is the K and N car now. Um, I mean, I, I like I like the way they did it back then, but I mean, it's it's a lot different now. So what they have right now, I think, is good. Just kind of a little bit shorter season for the Road to Pro would be kind of nice. Yeah. What about uh, hardware? Uh, you got like uh, wheels, pedals. What kind? What do you run in there? VR or monitors? Um, so I'm pretty, I'm, I don't know if this is still old school or not, and I'm still running on G25, um, I mean, it's still the original way I got it out of the box, um, and then I only race on one monitor still, I've been trying to get triple screens, um, I just got a new PC to do it, um, I just need to actually have a big enough table to be able to run triple screens, um, but other than the G25, I've been using that for... I think eight years now and I mean I haven't it works it works for me so some people have really crazy setups and super expensive wheels um I don't really I don't believe in it I think I mean once you get used to something stick with it I mean I don't think a wheel's gonna make you a faster driver um too much so I think just kind of whatever you get used to works and that's kind of what I've been using ever since all right. Well, it just shows you you can be fast with the old stu- old equipment. Uh, that is super old stuff uh, for sure. Uh, so let's uh, talk about the the Pro Series uh, as far as 2019 Pro Series. Uh, HPM had some drivers in there uh, trying to you know progress into the 2020 Peak Series. Uh, how did it go for you guys? I mean, can you sum up your year there? Um. At times it was really good, but other times it was pretty bad. Um, I think overall, I mean, it wasn't exactly what we wanted. Um, I don't, I don't think we got anyone really in the pro, um, or at least guys who didn't leave at the end of the season. Um, I think Jeremy R. Allen was both in pro, and then he left. Um, I think there was one or two other guys. I forget. I. Well, Brian Schoenberg made it through. He did progress. He was uh, one guy, I think, uh, that made it from your team, right? Yeah, so we picked Schoenberg up um, right after pro, or I think it was at the beginning of the pro season. I don't, I honestly don't remember. Um, but, yeah, we worked with him, and uh, I think the first couple of races we struggled, and then uh, I think at Charlotte, or the race after Charlotte, we hit on something, and... That helped a lot, um, and uh, I think he was the only one. I think we had Eric J. Smith too, working with at the, t- at the working with us at the time, and then he left. I think the last two races or something like that. So, um, yeah, he made it, it, but he did change teams. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think we're HPM's definitely known as like a a feeder team for Peak. Um, I mean, if you go back, if you look way way back, I mean, there's anyone that's who's who's in Peak is probably probably been on hpm at one point or another yeah that is interesting uh you guys have had some churn recently in that uh in your team it sounds like but uh but uh, a lot of good company like you said if you look back uh, it's quite a list of names yeah um i think there i mean as far as that i can remember i mean it's i mean lose has been on there clamp it's been on here um i mean josh barry's been on here um, I don't think he races as much. Uh, Nick Johnson's been on there. I don't think he races as much either. Um, same with Jeremy R. Allen. Um, I think there's a couple more. Um, I just don't remember the name. <laughs> I don't remember the names. There's been so many. 
All right. So you've been around the Pro Series and Peak for a long time. Tell us about the change we've seen in the last uh, year or so with uh, the, the, the NASCAR teams coming on board. We had the draft. Now this uh, offseason, it's free agency. Uh, where those t- uh, 20 announced teams are picking up drivers. Uh, we got NBC Broadcasting involved. Uh, hopefully they're going to be uh, showing more races uh, in this uh, coming year. Uh, what do you think about these changes, uh, good or bad? They're definitely good. Um, I mean, from when I first started, way back when, um, I mean, it was always talked that it could be something big as this, and now that you're actually seeing it, it's pretty impressive. Um I think the first time that I was around the series was when Tyler won it, and uh, me and a few other went, a few others went down to Homestead for that. And I mean, it's—I don't know if they still do it now, but there was like twenty or thirty people just at like a Ruby Tuesdays eating dinner. And uh, I mean, now it's—I think they're flying everyone out to Charlotte at some point or another. I don't know if that's public knowledge yet or not, but it is now. Um, I mean, it's it's grown immense compared to compared to where it's been. So, I think it's definitely got room to improve some some bits here and there. Um, that's why I mean, I'm still trying to. I'm, I definitely want to get back into the series for sure. Um, so hopefully, you know, I can do that next year and kind of be more in the know with with the series and and how it's progressing. All right, that's pretty cool to get to meet up at least and put a name to a face of who you're going to be racing with and. Uh, the competition, maybe a firm handshake kind of thing. <laughs> well, very cool. Yeah, it is going to be a, a great 2020 for the uh, NASCAR, E-NASCAR Racing Series or whatever they're going to call it. Uh, a little concerned I haven't heard about a series sponsor officially announced or anything, but uh, hopefully they're just waiting to time it out right where they want to time it. But Yeah, I haven't heard anything as far as a title sponsor, who's doing what with that. Um I mean, I I couldn't tell you. Yep, so we'll see. I mean, it's early in January, uh, but if we're going to hear, it's going to be probably this month. Uh, So with with the Daytona 500 uh, looming here in the near future. Well, uh, Mitchell Hunt, thanks for coming on and telling us about HPM, uh, High Performance Motorsports. Uh, You know, it was cool to watch Brian Schoenberg get uh, get through to the Peak Series on you guys' behalf and... uh, and glad you guys have an entry uh, going in there. And uh, good luck on your endeavor to uh, get into that road to pro again. Yep. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. All right, let's jump into the topics. First, let's talk some more peak. We finally got the winner announced of the most popular driver award for the series, none other than Casey Kerwin. Uh, that poll was presented by Team Razor over the last week's uh, Casey Kerwin was the winner, followed by Logan Clampett in second, Ray Alfala third, Malik Ray, and then Michael Conti. And then, Will, we had more uh, news about Peak. Yeah, we had uh, Team Dillon Team Dillon Management, which is the eNASCAR team founded by Austin Dillon, announced their driver lineup for the 2020 eNASCAR series. Um, they're actually going to bring back Blake Reynolds, who drove for Team Dillon last season. And was actually one of the championship four. And they also signed on Mike Guest, who drove the 17 for Roush Fenway Racing last season. Um, Reynolds is going to be in the 30 car again. And Guest will drive their number 33 car. We also got um, a little promotional video from Denny Hamlin Racing. Showing off uh, the new team name artwork. And they also had uh, 
Air Jordan in there. It looks like they're going to be partnered with Air Jordan, so that's pretty cool. And uh, we haven't heard from any of the other teams who their drivers are, but I'm sure that information is going to be coming to us pretty soon. Yeah, and so I think that's the first official driver announcements. Uh, and thanks to Justin Malello for uh, get, putting that out on Twitter. He's the go-to source for uh, this, these kind of things, and I do appreciate him providing that to us. But uh, that Denny Hamlin video, uh, pretty cool. It actually shows Denny on the sim uh, way back in the day. He's got the uh, old school computer and uh, pedals and everything. Uh, kind of cool to see the retro equipment. Well, it's also nice to see that they got a, you know, Air Jordan's pretty big sponsor to have with going with it. So that's another brand coming in. So when are you going to buy your Air Jordan racing shoes, uh, Greg? Well, I don't even know... I don't know what Air Jordan provides Denny Hamlin on the athletic side. I don't know if it's just a sponsorship. I know he has his brand logos on his uh, fire suit and stuff, but and then partnership with stuff. But I don't know. I don't think they make anything race authentic, do they? No, I just know that you're you're uh, our shoe wearing brethren. I am a huge shoe guy, so <laughs> but uh, it's too expensive. That's an expensive hobby. Well, yeah, definitely. Michael Jordan is involved in this team. Uh, he is tagged uh, in the in the Twitter, uh, and at the end of the video, it shows the Michael Jordan logo with the Denny Hamlin Racing logo, and they're obviously partners on this deal. So very cool, I think, that Denny Hamlin has uh, picked up one of these spots and, and gotten inv involved, so uh, pretty cool. All right, Greg, they tell us we're going to have improved statistics. Well, and I... I was reading going through this because I was thinking the same thing when I was trying to find statistics for the team last week. Uh, it was really hard, but uh, was it Matt Yeomans had posted in the forums that he was trying to look back on some old results uh, in our statistics parts on the actual IFA, uh, iRacing member site, and it was really, really hard for him to you know split it out. Um, so uh, iRacing staff member Nicholas Bailey um, let us know that... Uh, they're going to start uh, working on improving that aspect of the uh, the membership page and, and going forward, so that they can, I guess, they can have some third-party apps um, that help that the data can feed into it better to have it as well. Because it would be nice to, you know, I guess it would be nice on your phone to bring up that kind of stuff too. So um, I just know that it's Mike. You've made it clear before, and I've made it clear when I was last week looking through it. It is very hard to find old stats if they're not in your like top ten or things like that. Um, if you don't know where you're going to find it. Well, I've run into issues trying to figure out whether I've, you know, how many wins I've gotten in a specific track over the career. Um, anything, anytime I would try to search anything by a date range instead of just a single season, it would just come back with no results. It's real bad. I mean, the stats are not great. And if you try to look up something that's not a 12-week, good luck, you know, like the NASCAR iRacing series, which is 36 weeks. It's their little tools, not really designed for it. And, uh, it's just a mess. They really need to redo it. So happy to see Nick Bailey say they actually have a project. They started to work on the stats and make them better. So it does need to be improved. Well, and, and there was companies that were trying that I pitting was kind of the same, like was able to get stats a little bit better for things um, showing like for even the simple thing that I was trying to look for is what did you start 2019 as of an I rating or what did you finish 2019 as an I rating like that was like the hardest thing to try and come up with uh, when I was finding stuff. So, you know, 
that I, I just would like to see that this interface just becomes more of a, a quick check mark something here and that you can, you know, like David said, okay, I have, how many wins do I have at Sebring or how many races have I done at Sebring and just split it off that track, that car, things like that. Even like, how many races do I have in the NASCAR iRacing series over five years, six years? I bet you when uh, I bet you when Hammer Hammer's probably really looking for this because the way he gets his data, it's probably takes him a while to collect it all. Yeah, he's doing some kind of thing where he's taking all the data and then he's slicing and dicing in Excel or something. All right, David, let's keep moving on. Uh, somebody's thoughts on the V7 tires. Christian Chandelier, I believe we've had him on as a guest. He's an eNASCAR driver. Um, I've been running with him in the, well, I've been watching him. He run web in the front in the winter series. Um, he made a post about the V7 tire after the race he had with some of the some of the best in the I rating. That was this couple of those races that we've been running. Uh, we finally had a race in the winter series where we had some good long green runs. Uh, it's tough to do in a fixed setup with so many good racers. He posted uh, a graph showing one of the longer runs, and he had a well-thought-out opinion on the B7 tire. Some of his overall opinions included that it was very good at, with very little lap time fall-off until the tire got to about 50%, and then it would fall off hard at 30%. He also noted that a current weakness in the tire model is that you're gaining more grip in the used part of the track so it running the dark patch patches is faster and that that's not what happens in real life usually you start hunting for the for the lighter gray when, when you're searching for grip yeah so it was interesting that he uh, he pointed that part out about the grip on the darker patches that needs to be adjusted but this graph he put uh, very interesting uh, in regards of teaching you about fall-off. And some of the people that he graphed on here are Tyler Hudson, Ashton Crowder, Christian Challoner, Garrett Lowe, Robbie uh, Virable Jr., and Marcus Richardson. All these guys, some of the fastest in the business, too. Well, and so he's saying that it, if you the, the, the groove is going to get faster that everybody's running on. So is it something where they just got to switch a calculation there and, and get it to where because that would also be the hotter part of the track because there'd be more people on that part of the track all the time is it something they just got to quickly adjust to flip like you know when you're getting to that because then you gotta they gotta make it so that you try and make another groove you don't want to have one groove racing right well there's I, there's no telling what's causing it to happen it's just kind of it could be the heat. It could be um, there's, you know, it is a sim. And like, remember when the Skippy came out for a while there, they were actually having a, a freak statistic thing happen in the first, in the first tire seven build, where the more slip angle you had, the more grip you had. Um, and so there's probably something in the, there's probably a sign somewhere in the math somewhere that needs to be flipped. Now, the way I'm reading the graph of these five guys is the easier you start off or the slower you are in lap time at the beginning of the run, the less fall-off you'll have the entire run. Tyler Hudson had the least fall-off, but he was the slowest at the beginning of the run. And then vice versa, the guy who was the fastest at the, at the beginning of the run, he, he fell off real hard. I would say it looks like Ashton Crowder... Probably got the most out of the tires, though, because he was third quickest in the start of the run, but ended up second quickest at the end of the run. But uh, 
the way the graph curves there, it's kind of hard to see. It's kind of where they all intersect. About lap 25, he started picking pace back up again. So, but it, there is a definite where if you're easier on your tire, as you get to around lap 25, 30, you start to see a big swing in lap times. So definitely the guy that was the fastest early, he definitely fell back real quickly once it got to like that 25, 30 lap mark. He started being re the real dinner past. And then this version of Texas, pretty uh, coarse on the, the surface. Yeah, it's the B car at Texas, yeah. And it's not even, like, it's not even the Texas. They've got to rescan Texas. This is the old Texas, which was very abrasive with that bump in the center. Yeah, that's what I meant by coarse. I was looking the, the wrong word. Abrasive, definitely. Well, I think it, the graph definitely tells you you need to take it easy because it kind of proves if you don't, it's going to hurt you. And it's kind of falling in line with the way the Cup car and the Xfinity cars have been. There hasn't been a huge fall-off in NASCAR's tires in years. Like, the only track that has a huge fall-off is what? Darlington and... Uh, Atlanta. Atlanta, maybe Indy. Like, those, car, those tracks that rip the tire apart, but the rest of them, they seem to be like this. This is what the kind of graph you would get with for most of the tracks. But the package paints Goodyear into a corner because they don't want, they really don't want tire failures, period. Um, and so they're going to make that tire hard enough to hold up with those higher speeds. Goodyear doesn't want an Indianapolis of what, 2011 or something like that, 2012? Yeah, a they had to throw a competition caution every seven laps. All right. Well, let's keep moving. Uh, next, we have a continuation from a story from last time where we talked about. Uh, People were doing burnouts before qualifying to heat the tires uh, and stopping and doing another burnout and that kind of thing. Well, Nim Cross did uh, put up in the forums, please remember weaving to warm tires is not illegal. Warming tires by braking is not illegal. Things that can be protested are holding the car against the wall and doing burnouts. Uh, holding brakes to do extended burnouts. Stopping on track to do repeated burnouts. Please keep your protests within these types of ideas. Tyler Hudson also said, So if you are making motion to move around the track and are warming your tires, it is okay. Whatever it is. This is for all cars using the V7 tire. What is not okay is doing donuts, putting your nose against the wall, and doing a burnout. Any other tactic that sees you not making forward progress around the track can be protested and will result in a minimum disqualification, blah, 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 blah. So, so basically... As long as you keep the car going in a forward direction, it's okay. So basically, with them getting more up-to-date with their model, they've kind of had to make sure that the wording is clear on their protestable part. And there's still a gray area in there. I'm, I'm not going to play with it, but I can think of a gray area right now that goes, goes in those words. Yeah, and they're trying to clear up the gray area with the, this verbiage, but but you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, it, it, he does say the part about stopping on track to do repeated burnouts is bad. And that's what people were doing in the Porsche series, apparently, uh, and that caused this entire discussion. And so they did spe specify that. I think that goes back to, they used to do that on ovals at Super Speedways. Um, uh, there's a video somewhere out there with, uh, like, 20 cars in the infield for qualifying doing donuts. Um, it's hilarious if you ever see it. Um, but there was also, I think, um, 
at super speedways, um, your odd laps used to be quicker than your even laps. Um, why that was, I don't know why. I think this was all this is all old tire model. But, I mean, you still kind of you still see some of those imperfections on the tire models now that you did then. Um, so it's kind of interesting on how some of those are coming back up now. I think, uh, if I remember correctly, I think a lot of that was, well, I guess what we call the AK&N car now, but the old cup car slash when it turned to the Bush Xfinity car before they brought the COT in, that burnout and and uh, doing the odd laps and stuff, that was all coding problems they used to have in the beginning years. And when they first went from that zero, whatever they called the first tire model to the second one, and then so on, those things started popping up a lot where they would figure out these little things to do. I think I think the burnout one would was like worth an extra like half second or second on the super speedways. Yeah, doing the doing that and uh, just getting the rear tires lit up was huge for super speedways. Well, the moral of the story is if you don't think you should do it or if it seems kind of shady, you probably shouldn't or you might get suspended. Exactly. If you don't do it in the real world, don't do it here. It's not something you see. Don't do it. I think the easiest thing they could do at this point is they should really look at which, uh, what the lap time is at what track and car combo and adjust the qualifying time accordingly so you don't have time to do that. It should be a situation where you want to get your second lap in because your second lap is more likely going to be your fastest. Put like the minimum amount of time to get out there and get your two laps in. Um, to minimize these issues, because I know there's a lot of times where you qualify and you're waiting there for anywhere from two, three, four minutes for the session to start, and that's just time for people to yeah. do burnouts. Some people if they say, "Hey, I gotta change my setup before I qualify." But yeah, also you may not get loaded in in time if you have some kind of issue. Uh, some of those tracks, um, there's already a minute or two gone in qualifying with only having the three minute warm up. Yeah, I think. I know what you're saying there, Will. I think the easiest bet is you know, they're not going to change it, obviously, but they, that time's there for anything that can go wrong for the first couple minutes. It's not for them for the cheat for people to cheat if they're going to. Just don't be shady and don't cheat. Do you could fairly. add that time to the start of practice. If you have like a five-minute practice instead of three minutes and move those two minutes around, you can still accommodate people to get in, but I'll then also speed up the qualifying process because how many times have we had to sit there and wait the entire five or eight minutes because two cars want to start at the back. I think it, it'd be a little weird at first, but I think it'd be benefit almost all series and all members and help eliminate some of these issues. I never understood the three minutes for, like on the oval side, the three minutes, because most people, it takes that time to get loaded in. There's some people that get loaded in faster, but I think I load in with, you know, maybe 35 seconds left to practice before if, if I click right away. Right. And as the uh, sim gets more complicated, that may need to increase because it takes people so long to load in. I would even be like, why can't we start sessions 10 minutes earlier and have a 15-minute practice session? And I would give you time to really get some laps in before the race, get to know who you're racing around. Um, I just I just think that could be adjusted to be benefit to all. And then we could cut some time off of qualifying and help fix some of those issues. So the the Porsche series apparently uh, P2 
people were uh, ghosting or spot uh, spotting whatever you want to call it uh the people that were qualifying and doing these kind of things so they're not going to get away with it because their people are aware people are doing it and so there's going to be other people watching, you know, and uh, and recording and reporting and that kind of thing. So, well, and then there's things like Twitch and YouTube. If guys turn their streams on sooner, and you can see what they're doing, like there's all kinds of things that can be found out. Yep, don't do it, guys. All right, let's keep moving. Greg, uh, talk to us about the iRacing Rally Cross Champ. You know, I'm not doing as uh, in my off season. I'm not having as much fun as he sounds like he's having. But uh, Maddie. Uh, is it Maddie Tr- Semi uh, Tr- Trogan? Semi Maddie. Semi Maddie Trogan. Sorry about that. Um, really bad with his name. Um, was uh, in this place where he's testing uh, R- Hira Salmi. It's in. Uh, I guess in Finland. He's uh, out in his car. It's showing it up on jack stands right now with the tires off, getting ready. I guess uh, to do some practicing. So it looks like uh, he's showing this on his Instagram page. Um, Beside his work truck, I guess, here that they got for on-site. Looks like a fun time, though. That's a race team, a rally race team that he runs for. And his Instagram story that he posted, a video of him doing rally in the snow at night in the dark with no lights anywhere. And uh, he was flying through the forest on this snowy road with snow coming down with no lights at all, just the headlights and, you know, going 110 or whatever. And just, just killing it, man. I was, I was blown away by what he, this is uh, one of the things that's a little bit different with European rally cross is that they do a lot more just real environment racing rather than just made up tracks like we have here. Yeah. And he was no, he wasn't slouching around. He was getting around that. Uh, track whatever it was he was on the road but uh, pretty cool to see that and that's why he's fast is because he's a real race car driver obviously all right david hall next up a uh, blinking green dot in the lower right of my website won't stop it's driving me nuts what the heck it's rather annoying isn't it uh there's been some issues and nicholas bailey said they're working on it in the back end to where it should time out, but yeah, it's didn't happen happening to a lot of people. You'll see a notice down there, uh, and it'll be for a maintenance that was scheduled on like December 9th. And it actually created some kind of opportunities for some trolls. Back another issue we're going to cover uh, when iRacing had an outage, somebody was like, "Well, there was a there was a maintenance scheduled," and uh, and several of us, including me, were like, "No, there wasn't." You just saw the delayed blinking thing, but they're working on it. Yeah, I don't think my OCD goes well with that. Uh, for you know, I've been on this website for years and years, and usually I click it and it says like friend request, and I deal with it, and then the light goes away. But this time I click on it and it's got garbage there that I don't need to see, and then it won't go away. It's there every day. Yeah, mine's got garbage on it right now too. It's from the social media culture that we're used to now. We're used to clearing all those notifications. If you if you see that red number one there, it just it it's like an itch. Yeah, I refuse to click their little notification from a month ago, and so they need to fix it. Uh, so hopefully, they it sounds like they are. All right, next up uh, we had some iRacing uh, drivers uh, win racing uh, in real life. Uh, one of them was Jock Goodyear. Uh, Jock Goodyear won down in all, the Australian Formula 500 title uh, for his 2019-2020 uh, run. And so congratulations to Jock Goodyear. 
And then, of course, Kyle Larson is in Australia uh, in the iRacing colors. Uh, iRacing is an associate sponsor on this paint job with Lucas Oil as the main sponsor. But nonetheless, uh, he won uh, first at the Gateway Dirt Nationals and then uh, down in Australia. I don't know that. I don't remember the name of the race. And then recently he got a black eye from a, a, a bad wreck. So that was a nasty flip that Kyle took, too. It scares you that the NASCAR owners are going to tell him to stop racing or something because of that kind of stuff. He can just do it on iRacing. It's not the same, obviously. It's, it's, yeah, I don't know I if know. you listen to. You know, listen to Tony Stewart after racing. He doesn't want to stop doing it. It was his thing to do, right? He wanted to race sprint cars and things like that. And Kyle, that's one reason why I'm guessing he stays with Chip Ganaski because he allows him to, right? All right, next up, Greg, we had a December 22nd, uh, a problem getting uh, on racing. Uh, Apparently, uh, none of the sessions were registering. So Joshua Chin... um, Posts on the forums about this, uh, bringing it to the attention. So uh, it looks like there was an issue on the 22nd of uh, December there uh, where races that were set to launch at 2100 hours were not allowing registration and hosted sessions to launch at the same time. Uh, according to the staff, there were a couple unhealthy instances of proxy. Uh, proxy. Uh, they also stated... We are looking to tighten up the alerts on this type of issue in particular so that we can move uh, proactively in the future. And that was from uh, Nicholas Bailey. But uh, So it looks like they just had an issue with something that was getting blocked in the uh, firewall areas. I think, David, this caught you out. Yeah, um, it was, I was set up to run a race and it didn't run. It happened to quite a few people. You know, it, it lit up all over the all of the different social media pages. Uh, Facebook and Twitter when it happened and uh, they went they actually took the system down for about an hour or so and then got it back up a couple hours later in fact actually when this happened it was right around right around when Star Wars got released because I literally decided last minute okay I'll go watch Star Wars now and when I got back home the server was back up it's funny the biggest problem in esports that could face with esports is an outage like this like where something goes down like this could stop a series or something happening and the only thing is that it, it's it's the only thing that's different from real world racing whereas you know if something doesn't load like this everybody's kind of sol right yeah but i mean you you just have to have a reschedule like you do when a race gets rained you gotta admit the outages have been a lot less than they used to be. they're whatever they did switching over uh, servers they did a good job yeah. with that yeah, I think the, the network farm and the, the move of the databases and all that to the different, uh, you know, farms, that's definitely made a, a difference. Now, I know that uh, these outages can really affect things. You hope that, David, here, the next one that you're talking about, it doesn't affect. Yeah, hopefully it doesn't happen when uh, Hugh Jass has their special event. Um, Hugh Jass. Oh, Hugh Jass. Hugh, Hugh Jass. <laughs> you just like saying it faster. <laughs> All right, they, they actually the guys who broadcast the Reddit League that I participated in some on Sunday nights. Uh, they're having a roar before the twenty four. It's going to be on January tenth at eight p.m. They're running the Audi TCR MX five and Ford Mustang, and they currently already have forty seven entrances. So search HJ Roar in the forums, and you can find more info on the event. 
These uh, guys run a nice league that's that they they keep a good um, they keep it fun, but they still won't put up with 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 crap if you if you get hostile with anybody or do anything shady. So I, uh, I I've enjoyed running with them on Sunday nights. Okay, there you go. Now we got a roar before twenty four. People can run. Uh, next up, a uh, I'm going to call Parker Kligerman the Sim Sensei uh, because he has uh, a long Twitter conversation the other day about uh, what he thinks uh, eNASCAR is happening and what's going to happen. And I'm going to read some of the thread that he put up here. Um, he does say, I believe eNASCAR can achieve uh, similar results. We got to work towards the same goal. Uh, funnel people from the phone to the console to the PC. It must be linear. And he was referring to a tweet from Formula One who said their 29 uh, 2019 season is the most competitive eSports season to date. And the vastly increased audience loved it. And uh, he went on to say... Um, iRacing will always be the top of the, and as a sport, we need to make sure we affirm that with a clear set path. So uh, what do you guys think about, uh, you know, what Parker's talking about, uh, phone to console to iRacing? Does it work? Well, it makes sense. This almost kind of comes off as more of a, um, uh, or not IndyCar, Uh, Formula One just isn't playing with iRacing like almost every other of the motorsports is this this is what i see more of this than than the stuff that parker kligerman saying that just makes sense well f1 licensed their stuff to everything else so much easier so like um i have an app on my phone uh, real racing 3 they like just licensed the f1 all the f1 licensed stuff to to that phone app like there seem to play well with certain things and iRacing seems to be on the back burner for it. i don't know is it because it's the smaller market of everything? Like phones and phones and consoles will dominate over PCs no matter what. Uh, interfa- like with the amount of people that see that, um, there's more consoles and there's more phones out there than there will ever be PCs. Uh, another quote from Parker on this. Um, he said uh, in reply to somebody who asked for, "Hey, let's get champions real seat time." He said, "This is already happening. True linear pipeline." Those that have the ability to make real seat time a reality will. The incentive will be too great to not bridge the gap between e-motorsport and real motorsport. What level of the real ranks this occurs will be important. Uh, And then he also says, um, the key is a sanctioning body setting clear, distinctive levels with rewards that force and allow participants to move up and all parts to be in agreement that the pipeline is linear. Well, what if well, we just recently covered that uh, with our guest, the champion, getting to, to run, uh, do some testing? Yeah. What if it was more than that, though? Would, do you think it would blow up bigger if it said, okay, if you start in the e-race, e-NASCAR series um, and you go through the ranks from, like, you know, you got all the building up the ranks to finish, win the championship in the e-NASCAR series, and you get a seat in a K&N car or something like that, and go up from in real life, and then you can go up from there and build from it. Do you think it would blow up bigger than that? What it is? I don't know if it's, that you. This it just depends on the the price because it's a lot cheaper to fund an online racer than to even run a K and N car. I don't think <laughs> that particular incentive, Greg, will make people come flocking in. But what I think you might be talking about is like, hey, 
hey, if you're you run the heat on the console, the heat series, and you do and you win that, we're going to give you a iRacing subscription, uh, a, a big old cockpit with triples. Uh, we're going to give you a a, a a buy into the peak series. Like give it, like give him the 40th seat or the 41st seat in the peak series if he somehow you know wins the heat or something. And it is a real progression. So you're basically saying it's like a NASCAR race. Like they, you know, you get a championship spot and you get your prizes are actually. Or maybe it's just the Pro Series, not the Peak Series. You know, or they get a buy to the Pro Series. They have to, they get to skip road. Who knows? But uh, you know, Parker always has good ideas. The Sim Sensei. All right, David. Uh, clarification on the new penalties. Yeah, I saw several Discord conversations, and we tested it out a little bit, trying to figure it out, Mike, as well. Um, the penalties now, when you get a when you get a stop and go, if you're already out on the track, it will have it. You when you first get the penalty, if you have anything set on your pit window, it will be a longer penalty. However, if you then clear everything, you will actually see the penalty change while you're out on the track. It will actually reduce the amount of time that you'll have to stop for. I discovered this actually during the league race mon uh, Monday because I got, got busted for passing under yellow and because uh, I was coming out of the pits when they were about to go green. And, then, and it said 40 seconds. I cleared everything, and it dropped the time down to 15 seconds plus it didn't service the car. So if you're run, if you're confused about that, if you clear your pit settings, you reduce the amount of time you have to stop, and that avoids people basically intentionally going ahead and getting their penalty if they're say at 24x out of 25x when they know they're close to the pit window. Well, I had it because the stop and go penalty because I went over the incident limit in the race we were in, and immediately, I mean, I hadn't even stopped. It said. 20 40 seconds or something and that's because you already had your tires turned on right i already had tires turned on and so i think i turned the tires off but i left the fuel on and it didn't change the number and so i didn't realize what was happening and i took fuel during the stop and go and i was like well why isn't it let me go but anyway yeah that's how it works yeah because it can it can be abused if if they didn't set it up this way so just know that that's what happens Okay, next up, we're going to talk Dale Jr. In fact, I tweeted him right before the show, uh, telling him that we were going to talk about him a little bit, hoping to get his interest and hopefully get him on as a guest. But anyway, we got an email from Craig, a listener. He said he was watching a, a truck race with Dale Jr. in it, and, he, and Dale had chatted out to the field that North Wilkesboro would be released this year and that the Nashville Fairgrounds it's supposed to be released by early summer, but we will see. And so the Nashville Fairgrounds, I don't think that we actually knew about that one, but uh, apparently it's coming. Um, he also said, I just had to connect the dots between iRacing and the Smith family. It was a lot of fun in reference to the North Wilkesboro scan. And so uh, there is a YouTube of this, and uh, if you go to the end of it, you can listen to Dale talking to the drivers and the Lee Grace he was in and... Uh, pretty cool. Uh, Dale ended up finishing fourth in that uh, truck race at Iowa. Uh, it was uh, Flying Aces uh, stream up on YouTube. They're called Flying Aces. And then Greg, tell us about uh, Dale's uh, nephew getting started. So it looks like Wyatt. Uh, so that's Kelly's son, right? Um, 
has uh, got himself a rig thanks to uh, Chad Wheeler and Dale That's Jr. So some seats. And it uh, looks like he's got a nice starter setup there with, uh, I'm guessing that's a G27 wheel. Um, all fully rigged out here, and um, it looks like he's got the Dirty Mo Media sticker on it already, on the bat bottom there, but it's all set up for, I guess, uh, I don't know how old why it is, but uh, it's got a radius platform so he can reach the pedals, but uh, I guess Kelly, <laughs> Kelly said that they need a better internet uh, connection in their uh, con- or county, I guess. All right, so Wyatt, uh, um, I forget his last name. I'm not sure about the wheel. It's not a G27 wheel. It looks more like... Uh, G25? Well, it actually has kind of a newer-looking button configuration, like oh, almost that. a PlayStation, but the pedals are G27. Or they're, they're, they're oh, Logitech. it's the Xbox. It's the G9, whatever it is. It's the Xbox version. Notice the pedals are like on a large box, like a milk crate or something. They get them up in the air so they're close enough to them. It grows with them, I guess. You can just keep changing the platform till he get, till it gets all the way to the bottom, I guess, right? And since he's got the single there, you might as well just hook up uh, some VR and he'll be good to go. The last time I heard Dale talking about the VR, he said it still looked a little bit too grainy, but I don't know if he's tried the Rift S or not. I've been pretty happy with the Rift S since it came out. It works a lot better than the, the first Rift did. Okay, next up, a conversation uh, uh, Denny Hamlin was having on Twitter, uh, and Dale Jr. got involved, and they were talking about the first time that Denny Hamlin got signed as a development driver for Joe Gibbs Racing. Um, Denny Hamlin said, I was there that weekend because Dale Jr. invited me down after meeting through iRacing. That same weekend, I officially signed my development contract with Joe Gibbs. And then Dale piped in and said, if I remember correct, you said you had a big meeting with Gibbs and needed a place to sleep, so I offered you the couch on the bus. You signed your deal on Sunday evening and carried my trophy back to my bus for me from Victory Lane or something like that. It's a nice piece of history. Yeah, and you can see the two guys are actually tied together or know each other through iRacing. I'm not sure I actually knew that Dale and Denny knew each other that way. There's these little things that are coming out every once in a while, you know, just these small things that come out every once in a while with an interview that you find details that links driver to driver. It is interesting for sure. All right, David, we got a 2020 IndyCar Series draft. So last year they had an Indy series that was kind of the Indy's version of of NIS. Um, I ran it at Road America. That was about the only time I ran it. It was a nice little bunch. Um, Greg Rice announced that they'll be returning for 2020, and they've post he's posted a draft schedule starting with Coda. Uh, he states that Long Beach and St. Pete or St. Petersburg, I guess, cannot will not be options for the official series, uh, and that they are looking for feedback. Their series is going to start on April 21st, and that kind of matches the real schedule. They want to mirror the schedule as much as possible, but they're going to replace Toronto with Montreal and replace Portland with Barber Motorsports. I mean, I looked at it, and I thought it matches up with real life pretty well. I mean, like, there are a couple, you know, tracks, like you said, that they don't we don't have, and I think they're suitable replacements. Well, and they start the season in St. Pete, so if they... That would start a little bit earlier if they had that track on that schedule, but uh, 
I guess. Well, this started in late April, though. It aligns with Coda. That's when Coda is. No, I was, but I'm saying like it would start a couple weeks earlier if they had a like if if they would they substitute some tracks in here with something. It'd be interesting if they could if they would add two more tracks just to substitute those two that aren't going to be on here. But I guess they just leave it this size. It's a good lineup of tracks. One thing I noticed in the thread is a lot of people wanting Long Beach in there. Because that's a big part of what the IndyCar tradition and stuff is. But with it being a tech track, I, you know, I think when they initially announced tech tracks, they said, you know, we'll never have an official series on a tech track. So and I think they're just holding to that. Well, any of those street tracks, it would be really hard to, to figure out because if they even made an F1 series ever official here, you're never going to have Monaco. Monaco's would be too hard to scan in the short time that they're there for a weekend, right? So it, it, it just doesn't correspond for trying to create something that's a, it's not a permanent track for most of the year. Because even IndyCar used to race on an airport that's shut down for a weekend yeah. uh, in Cleveland. Yeah, the street courses and those temporary courses are tough. I think Detroit worked out because that's kind of a semi-permanent course, so to speak. It's easier, like it's like Montreal. It's on an island, right? right. So it's, it's kind of it's it's easier to have it there. It's part of a piece of land where, like the Toronto Indy here in Toronto, they shut it down for three days, but that road changes every year. Like it goes under construction a lot. The the place where they do it right by the waterfront is is really hard to to mimic because half of it's under construction all the time so how do you how do you create a background to something that's always under construction well if you want to say on the indycar series schedule now is your chance get on the forum greg uh, we got another real life f1 driver arriving on iRacing. and i was wondering how long it was going to be because of to get carlos sites on here because his connection with Lando being his teammate in the F1, but also just the, the relationship, it seems like, as teammates in F1, they, they, they're kind of like, they do things together, it seems like. So um, there was an interview with Carlos Seitz uh, through, it looks, from what I could see, it was what, motorsports.com uh, .com. did a really nice video and everything showing the whole setup of how his rig was uh, delivered and, and, and assembled and then how they go through the process of, getting it all set up, and I guess uh, at one point near the end there, Carlos called Lando, uh, asking him to come over and set up the sim, and Lando asked him which car, and he said the F1, and he said, you don't want to start with that car first, it's the pro it's, a, it's a problem, so um, it, it's just interesting to see these drivers, like even, you know, you'd think like somebody like Carlos could do it himself or something like that, get it set up. And, you know, he's calling a friend. It, it, it's no different than us. You know, if we don't, you know, you want to get a friend into doing it, you, you know, you're trying to help work him through the problems and things like that. He had a whole bunch of people there to help him through it, and he still calls Lando. Right. And the other part of the interview uh, when he was talking about why to get in iRacing now, it's about having a competitive edge. Uh, to do it in his free time. He's not doing it. Other drivers are, and, and he doesn't want to leave that out. So that's why he's doing it. Well, he's got to look at the two biggest, you know, two of the three biggest drivers that are coming up that haven't won championships in F1 that are using this are his rivals. Like, he, you know, he's got his teammate Lando. He's got Max Verstappen doing it. You know, you got a guy like Lando or uh, Lewis Hamilton winning every year, but these guys are up and coming and you're going to start challenging for stuff and be the future F1. You know, maybe he wants to stay relevant too, right? Yeah. And he, he gave the impression of 
you know, I need to do this. This is part of my training and part of being a better Formula One driver is to get iRacing and get a rig and get started. And that's what he did. And it's a pretty cool video by motorsport.com. So check those guys out. All right, next up, a forum thread uh, that we see sometimes. Uh, this guy said, uh, an iRacing member, he posted on the forums complaining that the content he paid for is now archived and that he was looking for a refund on the content he says he cannot use anymore. Uh, the idea is he left iRacing for several years, um, Greg, and then he came back, but all the stuff he bought from years ago, isn't nobody's running it. Well, First of all, that's not true. Will has some good good thoughts on this. Yeah, I kind of wrote my thoughts down. I was working the script just so I wouldn't uh, go too far off topic. But um, this guy's, I'm going to say, kind of an idiot. Um, he's complaining about old content that he bought years ago. Um, and now he's back. And I would say the Sim's a completely different Sim than it was back then. And he's also not taking into account all the new content he was given for free, um, including the Dirt Street Stock, two Dirt Ovals. The VW Rally Cross Car, the Pro 2 Light Truck, multiple Rally Cross tracks, um, and there's been plenty of updates to some of the older content, including a completely redone Lime Rock, which they just gave to, to us for free. Um, just off the top of my head, we also have the Charlotte Roval. Which has um, been for, the Lime Rock's been free forever, from day one. Well, you know what? Um, nobody plays Madden 1998 anymore. I want a refund. <laughs> Does anybody realize that we lease all this stuff? We don't own any of this content. If iRacing just said, screw it, and they're shutting down because of something that happened, too bad. Your money's gone. There's nothing There's nothing that you're going to, you're, you're on the hook for everything. They're not. And you ain't going to be racing if there ain't no iRacing up in Boston. Just remember, this is not. Like, you go to the store and you buy a game that's an offline game where it doesn't have anything online that has to be updated or maintained. This is something that's always maintained and is server-based. So you lease the content. You do not own it. You rent it, yep. And, uh, you know, people will argue, well, hey, I pay the monthly subscription, but I have to pay that one-time fee to buy the content. But really, you're saying it's of the content. Yeah, you, you lease the 2010 car by 2018, it's out of date. It's no different than when you buy your own vehicle in real life. It becomes out of date someday. All that money I spent on all those Super Mario games. Okay, next up, Greg. Time frame for ovals for AI. So Patrick Ligman just posted in uh, the forums asking if there was any... Um, any time frame that there was going to be an idea for when the AI would be coming out, like if it's the next build, is there anything that they could talk about? And then, you know, obviously our forums were the hashtag soon for everything. Um, but uh, Tyler Hudson did uh, pipe up in the and said that the Oval AI, uh, they're working on it. Um, he doesn't expect there would be anything before the next build, but the build in March is probably a solid expectation to be where it's going to come out. So that's what we're probably all thinking it's going to be coming out. Uh, that's what I've been at least thinking. Next build. Yeah, I think there was a moment at the beginning of the last build where somebody said something about Oval AI was coming, and then they quickly retracted that part and never heard of it again. But, yeah, this definitely says March build is a solid expectation. So I'm excited for that. Uh, now, it'll probably just be a couple cars to start with, right? Do you think they give it for the 
the, all the oval series, or do you think they just give it for... Do, what, what's your bet? Do you think they give it all the way up to the A series? Or do you think they bring it in slowly through the lower ranks, like the K&N? Probably just K&N, this would be my guess, just to start, and then they'll gradually add them. I said the K&N car is probably harder for the AI to drive than the A car at this point, with the downforce and everything. Um, I'd say probably the K&N car gets it first, and then the A car shortly to follow. Well, if, if they match the model, yeah, if they match the model that they did with the tire, that li they like to beta test with that K&N car. That K&N car is a no-caution series, though, like the racing series, right? Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, when you're in it, you can create whatever racing you want with it, right? Oh, yeah. But uh, the thing about, you know, when I ran the AI and the Mazda at the Lime Rock, I was impressed, but the one thing, and I think I said this before, but... There's no random to it. Uh, they all are online. They never go offline. I never. They don't really wreck each other. At least I didn't see much of that. And I hope that when they get in the ovals, they 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 introduce some randomness to it. You know where, you know you have that one guy who doesn't necessarily run the line that everybody else is running. Let's have that guy out there. In the well, and I think that's the progression of the feedback that they want with this too, right? That's why they're not l releasing it on everything. Get this type of feedback, get the cars working where they want, and then start releasing it, right? I would say one thing I would definitely recommend they do um, before it gets to oval, the way they have the strength slider as a percentage, I think we could adjust that to a strength of field rating. So when you set the strength of the field in the AI race, you can say, hey, I want this to simulate a 1500 strength of field race or a 3,500 strength of field race or even a 7,000 versus a percentage. So that way we could really see like, hey, this is what my I rating is. This is what I should be racing against. And it not just be the pace of the car, but also how often is there wrecks and do the cars come back onto the track in the racing line. And I think that would be a really good feature and adjustment to make. And um, I don't think it'd probably be too hard because they already have a percentage slider but what is 100% AI like? Is that a 7,000 I rating or is that a 3,000 I rating? Yeah, they could figure that out. They're, just have a toggle where you could toggle it from percentage to I rating. That'd be cool. I think the other thing they need to incorporate that I've seen done okay on consoles, is, especially on the Forza series um, on consoles, you, you they learn your like as a driver. So say as our race team, if you wanted to use all the guys from our race team, it takes a data of how you race over, you know, say they do it over a full season here, how you race like that, and then they, it, it creates your, your, your footprint as a driver, and that's how you would drive if your character was in your, you know, in the select races that you're in um, for somebody else. And, and it, it's kind of like a, you create your own person per thing. If you want to say, oh, I want to pick Tyler Hudson, let's put him in my race and that's how I want to race like, or it races like how he's raced recently in these types of races. That would be cool. It'd be like uh, you get to pick from a list of people that you want to run with like Ty Majeski, Tyler Hudson, you know, people like that and then you can just check mark their name and then you, their essence is essentially loaded into that. The difficulty, the I rating, whatever. Wouldn't that be a good thing to like say you have a feel like your race that you're racing and you keep losing against somebody like you know, in all fairness, you don't want to try and be, be better. 
put that likeness of that driver and like, take the whole field that you just raced in and create an AI out of it and try and race it and figure out what you need to do to get better to race against them if they I, did create that footprint. I love it. I'll race uh, 39 instances of Jay Collins and see if I can beat him. We could already track driver stats via the add studied driver. So we have our friends and we could add add studied drivers. If we study somebody, it should automatically record their data to us for AI testing or have an option for that. So that way we could say, hey, I, I'm friends with these guys, but I want to learn from these guys. Let's get this data. And uh, that way you could kind of use the tools that are already on the member site to get that data for the AI. Now, it is a little bit less um, uh, realistic, but you can ghost car somebody that if you have their if you have their lap file. Um, in fact, uh, with VRS, I'll download I'll download the ghost file of Cronky and try to follow him around in the LMP to see where I'm losing time. Right. Uh, one thing I want to mention is, uh, and I was going to talk about this later, but I'll bring it up now. Uh, last night I ran a hosted race. I found a, I was just looking for something to run and I saw somebody put up the pavement sprint car and I jumped in there and they were at IRP and it was a blast. I was like dead last, but I was having so much fun. The car is so hard to drive and it, it makes it really fun. And so I, I was excited. Will, you made me a paint job and, and I got a paint on that car. And then all day today, I was looking for races to race an official or anybody, hosted or official or anything, in this car. I wanted to race it. Guess what? Nobody races this car. Not one person registered all day for any event with this car. And so I want AI for all cars. And I hope, I hope they plan on doing that. I, I'm afraid that they're only going to do it on the popular cars. But we need it for these old cars, for the sprint car. Because I want to race a, a pavement sprint race without, you know, having to hunt for You know what I mean? Then you can make uh, that guy that's complaining his content's out of date uh, happy, too. Yeah, I posted a picture of the paint job up on the uh, Facebook. And uh, listener Bruce David Corey uh, commented that he wants AI so he can run uh, the supercar, Australian supercars, uh, because he wants to just be able to learn it by himself. And and so there's always these uh, cars that, you know, you want to run that you just don't have the option to or you can't find a race to get in. And I just hope they plan on AI for all the cars because of that, because that's really um, where there's going to be gold. All right, let's keep moving. We got a listener email. This time it's Nikki Meredith. Uh, he wanted to let us know about the highlight of a charity race that raised 1,145 euros for the Dublin Simon community. Uh, that is a char charity that helps the homeless of families that are at risk across Dublin, Ireland. And uh, there was an article over at digital-motorsports.com about the event and uh, sounded like a, a pretty good one. Uh, they have a long uh, list here about what happened. Uh, as well as a video at the bottom. And so if you're interested, go check it out. Um, it's always cool to see uh, them raising money doing sim racing for, you know, homelessness. That's pretty cool. That's a decent uh, haul in for uh, a charity race, too, for the sim. Yeah, yeah, that is. Uh, and we see these all the time, but that, you're right. That is a pretty good haul. All right, uh, David, we got our friend Dave Cam sharing up some important iRacing commands. 
Yes, there's a link to an article where you can actually see a list of commands that you can type into the chat for, say, taking away admin from a driver or banning them or clearing penalties and, and things like that. So if you want to look it up, check the link out. Most of them kind of are pretty what you would expect. Uh, if typing is an easier way for you to go, this is the way to do it. I tend to, especially, can't see a keyboard, so you can also right-click on the names on relative and standings is another way to basically execute all the commands as well. Yeah, the website is boxthislap.org, and they have uh, sim racing news and stuff. Not iRacing specifically, but uh, they have some neat stuff up there. Thanks, Nikki Meredith, for the tip. So, Mike, I heard you had to change your uh, paint schemes recently. Dang. Nope, but we did get a new 2020 trading paints policy. What do we got? No more pornography websites allowed on trading paints. Uh, you will get banned. It'll get removed. And potentially get banned by iRacing is what they said. Did anybody... I don't know if I've come across any in the last while. Have you guys seen any? I've seen the Pornhub car out there, I think. But that's just the website. I don't think it shows anything, you know. So they're saying you can't even have the words on it now. Correct. Right. And so uh, they said you'll get banned from the showroom. Uh, a later tweet indicated something about they could get you banned from iRacing. That prompted a forum firestorm in the forums. There was a thread. Uh, and that thread was talking about can a third party like Trading Paint somehow get you banned in iRacing. And there was a huge discussion about it, uh, but guess what? That entire post has been taken down by the admin, so it's not there. <laughs> they do not want to see that nobody wants to be part of that anymore. Uh, there were several posts on uh, some of the, social, the Facebook groups where they would take a screenshot of the forum post right after they posted it up to try to keep it alive. But uh, keep it family-friendly, guys. Uh, you know, there's no reason to have pornography really involved in racing. So it seems pretty straightforward. All right. What about the, uh, is there any concern about third party, you know, third party like trading paints having some kind of coercion over iRacing to somehow get you banned if you were to upload a, uh, in a, an inappropriate paint? I don't think it would be a matter of coercion. Uh, iRacing doesn't want you putting something up there like that on, on there either. Well, it's, trading paints doesn't want to be associated with it either to try and all of a sudden losing their, you know, working with, you know, they, iRacing could just say trading paints can't work on iRacing if they want to, too, right? If something happens where trading paints breaks the, uh, the new, uh, policy, right? Well, I think it, I read somewhere in that thread before it been removed that someone said it's in the sporting code under the painting section that, you're not supposed to have those kind of things and uh, something along those lines. So I think it is officially in the sporting code. It's not in either group's interest to have anything like that on there. And if you sign up for most leagues, they also have similar policies, especially if, with, with broadcasts, any of the leagues that broadcast. All right. Uh, Greg, how do we get an I tested award? So Nicholas Bailey toast, uh, posted... Uh, they're doing a stress test event on the beta UI on Saturday, January 11th to test the infrastructure to use for delivering the beta UI. So I guess this happens at 9 o'clock Eastern, uh, 1400 uh, Greenwich Mean Time. And they're also doing one at 12 o'clock Eastern, 1700 Greenwich Mean Time, and 1500 Eastern. 
20, 100 Greenwich Mean Time. Uh, the car is going to be in the Mazda M5, Lime Rock, 10-minute warm-up, 10-minute qualifying, 60-minute race. Uh, they're going to have dynamic weather and stuff. So you can just... Uh, uh, they're just trying to put some stress, I guess, on the beta UI to see if it has problems. I'm guessing this is in advance to try for the following weeks uh, or a couple weeks. Is it the following week or the week or two weeks after that is the Rolex? Well, it's a stress test for specifically the launching from the beta UI. And so you won't be able to get to this race through the website. It'll be in the beta UI only. So it looks like it it can be as many people as you want, too, because there's no limit. So get in there, guys. Help them out. I mean, the uh, the only way this stuff is going to work is if we participate in these things. And they can't do a stress test without us. And uh, I have to work Saturday or I would be involved. But if you're off, take a minute and start these races, even if you don't run them. Just so you can get that help, you know, get a load on that uh, beta UI. you know, I have not been a fan of the beta UI for a long time, but when AI came out and I had to launch it through there, I was impressed. I, I, I thought they've made some big, big, big swings at it. So uh, let's help them out. Everybody get involved. This is next Saturday. All right, hardware, software. David Hall, we got a coming very soon. Coming very soon, we have a new formula-style wheel for the AccuForce wheels. Wow. Um, mm-hmm. So that they've just traditionally not been known as having that kind of modularity. I guess that some of the other other wheels do, but they're coming out with something that's going to be sold as a standalone rim. Uh, the paddle shifters can be adjusted to work well with with uh, button boxes. It's two hundred and ninety millimeters wide, um, and it's got a good, nice button layout. Uh, I wouldn't say it's as as advanced as say the the F one rim from Fanatec. No knobs or anything. It's just Looks like what ten buttons on there, and the paddles. I don't know if I like the fact that the top is open on the design or not. I actually lean on the top sometimes, but uh, looks like it might be an affordable option for those of you who are going with the AccuForce. Yep. And if you remember, several months ago, I was kind of hoping, dreaming that AccuForce was going to update their direct drive wheelbase finally, and uh, I knew they were working on something, but that it wasn't the wheel base. Apparently, it was this wheel. The uh, it's just the wheel that goes on their old base, the V2 from several years ago. I'm gonna say I have the AccuForce V2, and it's a great wheel. It's phenomenal software, and the stock wheel that it comes with is nice. I feel like this item is just kind of pointless. Um, if I were to make any upgrades or complaints about my wheel. I would say they could have improved the quality of the buttons used on their button box. Um, I would have done an improved button box if I was them and uh, sell the wheel separate to attach on. This looks like it uses the same buttons and button box. Yeah, it's just an attachment wheel. I could have just gone on eBay or Amazon and bought a cheap wheel and swapped it out. I feel like this is a... I don't know. It just seems pointless. I I don't get the point of it. I mean, I'm still super happy with my wheel. And I feel like the software is really what makes it. But uh, I don't see them selling too many of these wheels. Um, unless I needed to buy an extra quick release and button box. I might buy it, throw the wheel aside, and get my own wheel to put on it. I was about to say, can, can you just put any rim on that AccuForce base? Well, so it comes. I bought the whole kit, so it comes with the round wheel, its quick release, and their button box. And if I get any, I think, was it, a 70 millimeter bolt pattern wheel? 
I could go to Max Pappas right now and buy a will and put it on. Um, I'd still be using their button box and their quick release, and the quick release is good. I'm a little big. I feel like there's newer style ones that are a little smaller, a little lighter. Um, but the button box, it's good. It gets the job done, but the buttons are soft. They're not tactile. Um, I feel like if I were them, I would invest in revamping their entire button box system and make it compatible with a formula style wheel. But all they've done is bought a bunch of formula wheels and going to throw it on their existing equipment. It doesn't seem innovative or new at all. I'm just thinking it's for maybe their new customers that are buying a base for the first time. They mm -hmm. don't have an option between two wheels to go with it. This is going to be offered as a rim only. That's a part, actually a part of the post. Yeah, I would say what, what the train of thought you had, Mike, is a very good one. And I was kind of thinking that is like maybe it's an option. You could say, hey, do I want the oval wheel or do I want the formula wheel? But it is only going to be sold as a separate unit. Now, I know you can you you might go with another option, but I can tell you right now. I, I originally just bought the the round Porsche rim, uh, which I use as my oval, and but I have this the formula wheel because of the because of the delay with the with the podium. I got it for a free formula wheel, and it is it is having that smaller size and the quicker reaction time. Um, it work it does work better for for road cars, but like you said, you may you, if you can just buy any. F1 style wheel and put it on there why would you buy this wheel unless it's just way cheaper do we have a price they don't have a price they just said they're going to work hard to keep it affordable all right all right greg what else do we got a my das simulation so if you go to my simulation.co.uk you can look at their new t1005m motion rig uh, I guess they're claiming it's a completely new structure specifically designed to house the latest PRS 200 actuators. So um, it's completely front and rear motion, um, traction loss, loss uh, for complete immersion. Um, so it's adjustable. Everything's adjustable on it. Um, it's a weird design. Obviously, it looks like it sits on a platform and then it has the four corners actuate and, and and move it's kind of like that next level racing one that we've been looking at where the it has the base on the bottom which was six thousand uh and that provides the traction loss on the front and the rear the left to the right and then on top of that you'll see the four actuators that move it up and down on each corner so they got the left right on the front and rear and they got up and down on each corner so this is like the ultimate well, it better be for the $8,000 euro price tag that it carries as well. So 8000 I mean, that's a good deal compared to Next Level Racing's version of this. Because the I mean, 6000 on Next Level Racing is just the bottom part. It doesn't count anything above the bottom part. So it's obviously, with them, they have different types of rigs on the site. There's, there's all kinds of different costs. And uh, from their lowest uh, normal aluminum rigs, 80-20 rigs, up to... Their motion rigs here. So if you're looking, you know, want to look for a different, another option for a rig, you got uh, this uh, mydassimulation.co.uk for, uh, uh, I guess, in the Europe European area to uh, look at as well. Yeah, it's not a bad option uh, for the price. I think it's a good price. But uh, the other thing, uh, you know, looking at the picture, 
it's not really 80-20, but it's a, a square tubing kind of look. Um, but a pretty small footprint considering what it does. Um, I like it. All right, David, uh, remind us about buttkicker.com. Uh, yes, a teammate of ours, Joe Owen, has been really trying to talk me into actually buying his older butt kickers because I think he's upgrading them. Uh, but butt kickers are an option that you can add to your seat that is basically a subwoofer that you attach to your seat, essentially. And it allows it... I'm sorry? It's a subwoofer without a cone. Right, that, that you attach to your seat and you can feel the vibrations right in the seat. So you can actually feel the RPMs of the motor. And uh, Joe likes to speak by it as not being able to drive without him because it really allows him to feel more about the car is doing so it's it's on my radar I, I'm not sure these these have actually if, I've been browsing on the side a little bit and you can they're actually used in home theater situations and, and things like that too so that, that's pretty interesting yeah you have to have an amp and then you have to have the actual butt kicker which is like the if imagine a, a big subwoofer speaker it's the part behind the cone like if you just took your knife and cut the paper cone off, that's what's left is what this is. And you just mount it to your rig and uh, bolt it down and run your, you have to run speaker wires to it. Usually have to have a sound card available or install a sound card to go with it. Yeah, the function of a cone and a subwoofer is basically to amplify and transmit the sound over a distance. I have the uh, the Gamer 2. I bought it like pre-owned um, from the guys that I, I bought my rigs from. Um, they gave me a good deal on it and it, it's a little, the one I bought has issues with the amp. Um, when it works, I'm running it just off the audio of my headset and it works good when I can get it to work. But unfortunately the amp, I probably should replace it. Now you can also buy individual, um, pucks that you could put on all four corners of your rig and, um, Sim Commander, the ones who do the AccuFor software, um, you can actually have them use your telemetry in iRacing to activate the um the butt kickers but you do need a dedicated sound card for that and basically it just takes your telemetry turns it into sound on the sound card and sends it out to all four corners um if i were to ever go with butt kickers that's definitely how i would go about it having it just solely based on the audio is a nice addition but um i feel like it's just a little too much info and because it's only based on sound and not telemetry um it could be uh misleading sometimes Okay, so somebody like David who doesn't have a Sim Experience product, uh, how can he get the software if he wanted to buy those pucks? So if he did just like the one butt kicker, he doesn't really need any extra software. Um, you would just need to have an audio input going into the amplifier and it would base it based off your um, audio settings. So like the lower frequencies when you hit a rumble strip, it'll activate it. Now if you wanted to get it telemetry based, you can buy the software from um, AccuForce or Sim Experience. Yeah. And uh, in fact, when I bought my wheel, I bought the complete kit. I think it was like $650 was the wheel base and the wheel. And the remaining $350 or whatever the difference was, was the Sim Commander software. So you can buy the software through them. Um, but I would really only recommend that if you're doing uh, butt kickers on all four corners of your rig and not just the one under the seat. Okay. I've always thought about getting those two, and I just never have executed. But uh, it is something that if I ever start over with a new uh, cockpit build, I'm definitely going to plan on it. Next up, uh, teammate Ron Shute was asking our group, 
hey, what do you guys recommend for a shifter? And so I went into Google Drive under our show notes folder. And by the way, there's a link to that show notes in the description of every podcast. If you go in there and search shifter, guess what? It'll give you the results of every time the word shifter came up in the show results. And I came up with a bunch of links and I sent them over to Ron to give him some ideas. And so I thought I'd take a moment and just kind of review those links and tell you of all the shifters that we can think of that uh, Ron could pick from. And it started with the best one, the uh, prosim-co.uk H-Pattern Shifter for $1,200. Uh, that one's a beast. Uh, you guys agree that's the best one? or? Well, it, if you see on the script, all I can say is I'm not happy with my Vanatech shifter. It's messed up. It, it just keeps messing up even though I do the the maintenance on it every month or two. And I've quit using the H-Pattern and just gone sequential. I say H-Patterns, um, I have the G29 shifter. Um, it works when it works, and it's fun to do the H-Pattern when you're driving. Um, I've gone through one already, but they're only like 35 bucks. So I just threw it away and got a new one. Um, I just don't feel like there's enough good options for H pattern shifters. You pretty much go from the G29 to the Fanatec, and then you jump up to about a $500 price point for the, the Frex shifter, which I believe is from a company out of Japan. And then there's some like thousand dollar plus one, which is a beautiful, beautiful piece. But, um, I kind of mentioned if, the cup cars ever go sequential? I'll 100% go with the higher and sequential. I think Jinx is the one that's caught my eye so far. Well, especially since you mentioned the cup cars going sequential, that pretty much the story is they're going to after when they go to basically, I guess, a Gen 7 car. Right. So is there even a point of getting an H pattern with that in mind? I mean, how many cars really do you are you really driving on a regular basis that need it? You know, especially with that new information. The, the Mazda. Yeah, I was about to say, the Mazda, you're actually faster if you run H-Pattern. That and um, the old Lotuses are pretty fun to drive with the H-Pattern. I think the H-Pattern is definitely the funner way to go if the car warrants it. It just, uh, I just, there's not enough decently priced H-Patterns out there to make it worth getting. So, other notables, rickmotech.com, they have a bunch of Thrustmaster pet, uh shifters uh they they have a another one they just called a professional grade sequential shifter that's 825 dollars they have some really nice choices there uh the other one that is honorable mention was the shifter shh.com uh this is the kind of plastic uh 3d printed version one i think mason got one of these last summer uh they're like under 100 bucks i think and uh, the Jinx, I, you mentioned that, Will. I think the Jinx is probably top-notch out of all of these, especially that one where they have the four or five handles for the various things. Yeah, those are for, like, the anti-roll bar adjustments. And Jinx is an Australian company, if I'm not mistaken, so they're kind of making it based off the V8 supercar. But you could still use those in the cup car um, to adjust brake bias or um, stuff of that nature. So I still think it's a good, good-looking piece of hardware with a lot of potential. And then the Fanatec, David, you obviously are not a fan. Um, I suppose I could get with technical support, but I went with the video option and took it apart. So I don't know if that would void the warranty or not. But yeah, I've not been particularly happy with it, and it's a 
reportedly a common problem. Uh, here's another one we went over in the past, a tiny one called hrsims.com. It's sequential, $380, and it looks nice. It's just like a little metal box and a nice little handle coming up out of it. Uh, others were, uh, and then finally, I, I, I remembered one more after our discussion was over, the Aologs or Iologs. It's spelled A-I-O-L-O-G-S dot net, and they got a $165 uh, sequential shifter uh, made out of metal, and it looks pretty bomb, actually. Yeah, we had, I think we had Sim Speed Shop on the podcast a long time ago, and they were introducing a sequential um, that I think was reasonably priced that looked fairly nice. I just wish more companies would hop onto this H pattern and kind of give you more options in that mid-price range. But like we said, if the cup car goes away from an H pattern, that really only leaves the Miata as the last option. Okay, next up, a uh, GS5 seat review uh, with D-Box. So this guy's paired up the Sim Experience uh, Motion Seat GS5 with traditional D-Box on all four corners. Uh, his name is Johnny Palomari from Finland. And he posted it up in the forums with some, uh, pictures and uh, a long written review. Um, if you're interested and uh, I always thought that this might be a good combination to have this motion seat with the up and down on each corner uh, what do you guys think is this a good combo or not guess we won't know until we try it but <laughs> all I'm thinking is I want that GS5 <laughs> I think the GS5 on a motion on a standard cockpit that's not motion is a great step up um, one purchase you bolt it onto what you have and you don't have to change anything else yeah, I'm a fan for sure. Uh, if you're interested, uh, check out what he has to say. Uh, it is a he's got some nice photos and a, a lot, like I said, a long written uh, review. A lot of tips on setting it up as well. Okay, David, Fanatec Podium DD1 review. Okay, um, I got our fella for, that does all the reviews. What is the channel? Sim Racing Garage. Uh, he did a review of the DD1. I did not have time to watch the entire 41-minute video, uh, but I glanced through it and listened to the final thoughts. He had a lot of positive things to say. Uh, particularly, he was really happy with the most recent driver updates that, and firmware updates that they put out with, with, with the hardware. He did describe the DD1 as basically a detuned DD2 with, a, with aluminum. It, casing instead of carbon fiber as well as um, a different warranty um, but you want to get a good review and also learn how to work some of the more intricate settings this video is a good one to watch yeah especially if you want to know the settings on the new software and all that kind of stuff he really does go over it I'm still afraid to try the new software uh, there are some horror stories out there still to this day about people trying it and then things going south so until it's out of beta and i hear a lot of good stories i'm not touching it i am happy 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 with in fact i was just saying today uh delara dash at the daytona speedway with the indy car is a true test of a direct drive wheel at 100 percent i was telling the guys i'm not sure if the car is driving me or i'm driving the car you're trying to hold the wheel still as you go over the bumps. Good luck. That wheel's going to move over the bumps no matter how hard you hold. Uh, and I like that kind of fidelity. 
when you get into an Indy car, it feels like an Indy car. When you get back to the Mazda, it feels like a Mazda. And and there's a difference between the two because they're different cars. You can feel it in the wheel. And uh, I just love the the step up I went from the G27 to the... Okay, let's keep going. Uh, David, we got a what graphics card to buy video. This is about an eight-minute vi long video from the Linus Tech Tips channel. And he's just going over every video card probably on the market and giving you all the information on both the radio side and the NVIDIA side. I didn't get a chance to watch the video either, but uh, I mean, I'm, I'm taking good use of all my vacation time here and watching all the videos, but actually I didn't know I was going to be covering this one. We had a little bit of change up, but uh, watch it if you want to think about buying a new video card. I know that it's one of those other things that's a little bit on my wish list. Uh, what was neat about this for me was it was confirmation of my previous research when I bought my 2700 Super. Uh, he basically um, confirmed what I found was, you know, what the price points were on these various cars as you go up the chain. And I think the 2070 Super is like the third one down in the chain. Um, and so, uh, yeah, it was interesting to me anyway. Yeah, check it out. Okay, uh, next up, let's see. We got... A uh, SimCore has a put a picture up on their Facebook uh, page saying a lot of people asked for more pictures of our new customized SimCore M27C SLI wheel. So here are some more pictures. And uh, boy, what do you guys think? I mean, this thing looks bomb. And I love that little twist knob thing in the middle. Yeah, it looks like they're using the twist knob in the middle. To kind of change your black boxes and then it looks like your right thumb can reach a dial to adjust what's in that box um, so you could just switch to relative standings field tires and use the the uh, smaller dials to adjust it so i think it's nice to be able to jump straight to the black box you want on the wheel on a dial versus having to program a bunch of different buttons that's exactly how I do it on the F1 wheel. I've got my right dial that just cycles through the black boxes, and then I've got my D box basically right above, right above it that I can reach. So it's the same exact same kind of concept. Now this new wheel will be available to buy in our web shop mid-January. So like in the next week or two, guys, uh, this thing's for sale. If you're looking for a Formula One style wheel, you got to look at this. Uh, it's definitely a different design than what we've seen before. Okay, uh, next up, David, simcageracing.com. So we've got a two-frame-based uh, rig here. Um, looks nice, looks sturdy. And the only thing I wonder is how much adjustability do you give up because it, 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 it looks all pretty much you're stuck with one dimension. Yeah, it's a tubular uh, design made out of, looks like steel tube, uh, two-inch probably. And uh, like you said, there's no uh, flexibility or, or adjustment. It's all, you know, welded together, so to speak. Looks solid. Looks definitely rock solid. And the price, man, I thought the price was high for what we're looking at. 2,400 euros. Yeah, um, I wouldn't recommend. Not not especially not, not with the flexibility that you don't have. No. On the, on 400 it. euros, I might say that's a good deal. But 2,400 euros for a, a stationary cockpit? Come on, you can get the Sim Lab. It looks just like my Oboto with maybe just a little bit thicker tubing 
right. um, slightly modified. Yeah, that guy is a. Uh, he put a comma in the wrong spot or something. Yeah, that's a weird price for that's not right. It can't be. Okay, Will, we got a fin uh, update on a cockpit review we did a few weeks ago. Yeah, so a few weeks ago we talked about the gentleman who was putting a cockpit in a Mini Cooper. Um, it looks like it is complete. So he had, looks like he has a 49 inch ultra wide in the windshield. Um, the motor area is uh, where he puts his PC, but yeah, the Mini Cooper rig is ready. Yeah, and check out the where he's got it. You know, he's got it in a room, obviously, in his house. And he he's kind of thinking he wanted he wants a display case with a diorama. And can you imagine how that would look? I mean, that would be cool. It's almost like a museum piece kind of thing. The way he's got the stuff on the wall, and it's kind of a fake wall behind the, the car, you know. Yeah, it's like the room was definitely built around the car. Um, it's a very, very neat concept. Looks like he did a very good, clean job with it. Um, yeah, yeah, he could probably definitely do more with that thing than just let it sit in that room. I think if he takes it around, people would love to pay to hop in that thing and run it around. Yeah, that's Brent Shaney. Shaney. I'm pretty sure it probably doesn't have any fluids left in it. All right, Greg, uh, we got a something new from Turn Racing. So their Instagram page is all, I guess, that they've posted with this turn racing um, is a prototype racing, I'm guessing, a rim. It's, it's or is it a box? box yeah. I guess it, you know, it's hard to tell. It's Maybe it is just about, but it's a very more elaborate than just a simple button box that's just a box with buttons on it. This one kind of has been cut it out, and I'm guessing it's 3D printed um, with all these. Now it's got uh, one, two, three, four, five. There's four on each side and three on the bottom buttons, and then it's got three rotary knobs. Um, it's got different uh, different logos for different things. If you want to set it up, I'm guessing you can put stickers on for it. But it's a it's a good prototype uh, button box uh, if you're looking to get into something like this. So I don't know uh, if they're going to go forward with this uh, on this prototype, but it's a very good start. It, it's almost small enough that you could like Velcro it to the center of a we existing wheel. Kind of reminds me like like it looks like a cell phone sideways. I don't know, just the yeah, way it looks, kind of. Yeah. I would say this is uh, it looks like it's made to be whether they could put it on a wheel or you can mount it to your rig as a little button box. It's almost the size of like those Elgato Stream Deck button boxes. Um, I think it would be perfect to just mount right next to your wheel if you could. If you have a say a more basic wheel and you want some audio control knobs or. I think it's a really nice piece. I think it's a very unique button box for what it's doing. Yeah, and don't forget, Turn Racing has some bomb, bomb. Wheels, and so they're known for good quality. So we'll have to see how this turns out. It is a prototype. Uh, you can check it out on their Instagram. So do you want to know if you have the ultimate fastest lap time? Okay. Well, there's a new guy on the scene that's uh, working with the API and is basically creating a new uh, telemetry website, um, and it's called it, it's called the ultimate fast ultimate fastest lap times. Uh, they're looking at having different options, pricing from free to pro. They're looking at having some early adopter license, and it looks like another way to uh, share telemetry and lap times. So the website is zero one zero one zero two dot d and so you go there 
and then you like click on your name and then you get all this beautiful stats and information about your lap times and it's very presentable and visual and whatnot uh, you can actually click on particular tracks and get information uh, very cool I mean um, I haven't tried it yet I just found this the other day um, but we do need to look into it and see how this works uh, it's included in the VRS package if you're already using the VRS service telemetry. They have something like this? Okay. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, and you can even compare your lap times to other drivers. Uh, you can, like, me and Greg can go look, and I can find out why I'm so much slower than him at, at, in a stock car or in a road course. Um, so, there, you know, but um, he may be, end up being a good competitor to him at some point, uh, especially if he starts to develop a lot of the similar services. Okay, so check that out. Uh, he's got a Facebook page called UFLT, and uh, it's also got a forum post uh, under the same letters, and then the website I mentioned. And so uh, check it out. Uh, next up, NVIDIA announces an emergency patch for the GeForce Experience software. So if you have a GeForce card, make sure to download it now. Um, apparently this patch uh, is patching a critical security vulnerability that was recently discovered. Um, I didn't read into exactly what that vulnerability is. Uh, some of the guys on the forum said, hey, you don't even need the GeForce Experience software if you have a GeForce card. You can actually install the driver without it. I, I didn't know that. I actually have this software installed. It's how I usually update the driver. And I haven't had a problem with it, but I do regularly update that driver, so uh, no worries for me. Actually, I installed it as a part of the Oculus Rift optimizations. It had them. I had you uninstall it as well. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe I will uh, if it's not that necessary. All right, Will. What do we got next? Yeah, so ProSimTech, um, they've made some pretty nice pedals in the past. They are announcing there where the going to release batch 7 for sale on January 14th at 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, this is a company we've talked about in the past. They make a, a pretty nice looking pedal set. It looks like it's kind of in between the Husingvelt Sprint and their Ultimate pedals. 480 um, bucks. Yeah, so the $480, um, but they're nice looking pedals. Um, but they are they do sell out fast. So if you guys have been looking for those, uh, make sure you're ready at 1 p.m. Because I think they sold out within like 10 minutes last time. And... Uh, he was saying before, this might be his last batch ever. Uh, he's going to get out of the business. Okay, so get on that. Those are some good pedals, guys, for under 500 bucks. if that's your uh, your thing. All right, Greg, uh, another rig review. Now, this is a, this is a moving rig, uh, actually in a rig, big transport truck. Um, and I, iRacing posted the picture. Um, so one of their favorite rigs of the year is from a member um, that comes, uh, is it Marvin Turnmeyer Jr., uh, who races from the back of his big rig three times a week. Um, so I guess when he's at the truck stops, uh, done for the night, he uses his gaming laptop and uh, sits down at his rig. I guess he's got it on a stand inside his truck here. It shows that he's got a Fanatec rim, BMW rim with a... Uh, I don't know if that's a 2.5 base, but uh, it's in the back of his rig, sitting on his bed or chair or something there, and uh, it's uh, really dedicated when you got that uh, time. I, I, I can relate to this, because when I first uh, 
when I first started driving, I did long haul, and I tried doing this with a gaming laptop. The hardest part is trying to get the Wi-Fi at the truck stops to be really good. It depends on what he was doing. I don't know what he was doing to use for his internet connection. But uh, I guess he even got uh, Dale Jr.'s approval on his Twitter page. He said Dale posted American here, a real American hero uh, with the picture of it and the post from iRacing. So doing something right when you get uh, Dale, Dale Earnhardt Jr. approved. Now, I actually know about the connection. Uh, Marvin Turnmeyer Jr., I, we've covered on this podcast many years ago. I used to race with him uh, several times, like in the hosted and stuff. But uh, Marvin, he actually races on cellular. And uh, he was uh, hotspotting to his cell phone to race on iRacing in a mobile hotspot on an Android phone. And it worked good for him. Uh, every time we, we talked to him in the race, uh, he was never blinking. He had a good ping. Uh, no problems. It is a mobile hotspot to race. And so that proves it is possible to do it over cellular. So that would be because you guys have unlimited data in the States, right? Well, mobile hotspot, we still throttle it after a certain amount. Um, so uh, he did mention he does it about three times a week. I think if he did it more than that, he'd probably run out of data. Okay. All right. Let's keep moving, David. A GTR cockpit by Laguerra Sim Racing. This is an option if you live on the Australian continent. Probably New Zealand would be pretty handy as well. Um, it features three different versions of the same thing. It's a nice uh, 80-20 rig. Looks nice and sturdy. Uh, pretty standard design. Uh, it comes in three different stages. One is designed for basically no monitor stand. The second one is, desi is designed for if you want a big curved monitor. The third one is for triple monitors. Uh, as far as the prices go, since this is Australian dollars, I can't really make a price comparison. Um, but if you're down in, in Aussie land, this is a good option to look at. Well, 1800 to 1300 and you don't have the crazy shipping, you know, from Europe. It's got to be cheaper than like Sim Labs. Well, thirteen hundred in in Australian's economy prob probably doesn't mean the same as us. They don't have, they have a whole different salary balance, you know, cost of living. So th th we we don't know what thirteen hundred is to them compared to what it is over here. I mean, what do you think of the design? It definitely looks like a Sim Lab clone. the The monitor mount is I kind of like the the triple monitor mount though. And it does it mounts uh, right to the rig, which if you go motion, you you do want. Right. Yeah, you don't want a separate stand. You, it's best to have it attached, and it is. Uh, that's a, a neat way. It, it kind of attaches. It's got arms that come up off either the left and right side of the, the base that kind of go out a little ways, and they hold the entire triple thing up. Well, in fact, even SimLab has um, the integrated stand very similar to that. Yeah, I think it looks like a SimLab clone. And, boy, if you're in Australia, check these guys out. LagueraSimRacing.com. All right, next up, a two-axis motion platform for entry-level motion. 1200 bucks, guys. This is a YouTube video by Sim Racing Garage. Barry, of course, uh, has been very busy, and uh, he did this uh, review of the two-axis motion platform. It's the DOF Reality H2, and we've talked about DOF Reality a bunch this year. I mean, if you're looking at motion... You go, and you're looking at budget, you got to look at DOF Reality because they are definitely some of the least expensive out there. 
Uh, I think the challenges with DLF reality, and as Barry uh, points out in this video, is, is mounting whatever you're going to mount to it. It has to be underneath your seat, and you really have to design something if you don't have something that's built for it. That's my concern. But this is the H2, uh, and, you know, at, at only $1,200 to get a start in motion, um, it's not bad. But I think if you're going to go with it, you have to go with a minimalistic kind of uh, cockpit some to go with it. So, for example, if you look at the DOFreality.com and you go to the consumer H2 picture, you'll see it's a very low-profile cocktail uh, a cockpit where the steering wheel comes up between your legs, and I, you know it's got a very minimalistic pedal mount, uh, and so forth. Okay, Will, what's next? We got the uh, HRSims.com again. Yeah, they posted up on their Instagram a uh, picture of some wheels they're building. It's kind of a sneak pre I can't talk. <laughs> a sneak peek at their HRS the Gen X wheels. Um, so you have looks like quite a few different buttons on that wheel and possibly a display on it. Oh, so yeah. it's a nice looking wheel. It's still in production, so it's not a finished product we're looking at here. Pretty much just the the uh, casing, but it, it looks like it's going to be a good year for them. So it's just one of their new wheels they're coming out with. Yeah, another sneak peek. All right, and then Greg, tell us more about Frex, F-R-E-X. I kind of didn't believe it until I actually looked at this uh, post, but uh, I guess anybody that doesn't really want to go straight to a rig uh, can go to a motion chair. Uh, so like Frex... GS5? <laughs> it's kind of different. It kind of uses that spider legs men uh, method of... It's got a, a normal chair-looking chair, but... An yeah, a normal office chair, but it has, uh, at least from what I can see in the one picture here, it has two motion um, shocks that come off, like right, that would be right on your inside of your, or the outside of your, both of your legs, and they would push the chair up and down, uh, forward and backwards. So <laughs> it's just an interesting, I guess I've never thought of motioning the chair this way. I, I mean, all I think of is the GS5 when I think of the motion chair. I don't think of it this way. Um, it really looks like an office chair that they bolted a couple shocks onto. Pretty, pretty much. Um, so if you go to their website, frex.com, and their store, it's uh, 248,000 yen. I'm not sure what that converts to. but uh, Japanese, right? Yeah. Uh, so what was that number again? 248,000. It definitely is an interesting concept. Uh, I don't know. Wow, it's uh, that's twenty two hundred dollars. Yeah, that's not an option. I there's better cockpits for that, but you could get the G seat. It's a it's a pretty good option. Or there's other options. There's pretty interesting design, but uh, I think there's probably something you go with before you go here with this. It, I I want to say redneck motion for some reason. I don't know. I think they're trying at a market that isn't untapped isn't tapped that probably isn't going to have people in it i checked the <laughs> video in the second link uh, this is what turned me on to frex.com is sim racing mike posted up in instagram a video of him uh doing iRacing racing in his frex motion cockpit and he's got their upgraded cockpit and I was entranced by the way this thing moves. He's got the not only the slip angle on the front and the back, the left to right, 
He's got the actuators on all four corners, D-box style. He's got the belt tensioning. He's got everything 80 um, I mean, what a nice setup, and I just love the way the motion looked. I, I can't, I couldn't figure out by the video how he's getting the traction loss left to right. But if you watch carefully, you can definitely. See. So basically, there's a lower platform there that it's sitting on. I didn't right. notice it till I saw it move a bit, but yeah, it's sitting on top of a lower platform. Yeah, it seems like a lot of these motion platforms are now going to the style where you have the, the bottom platform and then you have the up and down on the corners. And once again, 80-20 seems to be the best way to go. Yep. With integrated monitor, not a separate monitor mount, like uh, Will was saying. Okay, David, uh, going to be a big new year for who this time? Track Racer. Track Racer. They're featuring on their website a new wheel that's uh, kind of the flattened oval design. It's got a couple of knobs on it and six buttons as well. It looks like a nice velvet kind of uh, fabric. Alcantara. Alcantara, okay. And um, it's compatible with all of the direct drive wheels. You have to have an adapter for the Fanatec. I kind of like the design. It's kind of like your Porsche rim where it can be used as oval or road kind of design. Somewhat. The Porsche, the Porsche rim is completely oval. It doesn't have the flattened out uh, feature. I don't know if there's any function of flattening the top and bottom in a wheel. I know it's a popular design, but I don't know if it really gives you any additional speed or not. It's a space... Uh, I think the first designs on them were on cars that was hard to get your legs underneath in a crot. Like it was basically okay. to try and keep your your legs from rubbing the bottom of an oval wheel or not block vision at the top yes so track racer uh, remember they just announced a sub 500 dollars 80 20 cockpit shipping from the u.s that's a really nice that's a really nice rim though yeah and now they got this nice rim to go with it they have a really nice uh fiberglass bucket seat for right at 200 dollars as well so they got i think some really good products at a very competitive price if I was buying a cockpit right now, I'd be looking at Track Racer for sure because of what you're, all you guys are saying about them. Their website, they got a whole bunch of stuff on here. Like their pieced together systems, even with their monitor mounts and everything, are really nice. So that cockpit I just mentioned, let's talk about that. They did finally get it on the website, um, and it's $500, and it's normally $550. Um, it's like a pre-order kind of thing. But uh, they have a ton of information on their website about it on the product page. Uh, it's called the TR80. It is an 80-20 style uh, cockpit. They list out every, all the different features that it has, uh, you know, what uh, products it's compatible with, you know, as far as wheels and pedals, uh, how to mount seats. Uh, it's got a stationary seat mount. It also comes with a sliding seat runner kit. Um, and then tons of optional items like the triple monitor mount, the uh, adjustable keyboard mount, uh, handbrake mount, uh, caster you could put on the bottom of it to roll it around and so forth. And so I think you would turn a $500 cockpit into a $1,000 cockpit when you get all the accessories that you actually want. Yeah, I like, I like how you can piece these together as like the way you want to go with it. It kind of reminds me of, um, obviously it's not 80-20, but you can you can create the setup you want uh it's not set in stone when you first start ordering it right yeah you get the basic version then you add what you want to go with it right i love their website very informative they got a lot of information about what you're actually buying um well done 
And so that's trackracer.com. There's no C in the word track. Next up, finally, is guess what? I have a resolution on my video card fiasco. And the resolution is I am an idiot. So I heard back from Gigabyte, finally. They did ship the card, the 1080 Ti, back to me. Um, and they didn't tell me what was wrong with it or what they did to it or did they fix it or did they replace it or what. And so I had to wait till the holidays were over. And so today I called them and they said, oh, yeah, we tested it. And guess what? There was nothing wrong with it. So we sent it back to you. And so I bought a new video card for no reason because I didn't properly diagnose what my problem is. Now I'm thinking that the problem was a video card riser. So the 1080 Ti from Gigabyte had a optional accessory called a video card riser. And you plug the card into this small little card and it's mounted up above the mother, away from the motherboard. And then there was a cable that ran down to the motherboard. And I think that that was what was failing, not the card itself. And I didn't troubleshoot it right. And so now I have two good video cards. I got the 2070 Super and I got a 1080 Ti. Now, to the point of this story, I need to recover from my losses, people. I'm selling the 1080 Ti. I'm going to keep the 2070 Super. The 1080 Ti is perfect. Uh, Gigabyte just said so. They just had it on the test bench, and it's perfect. And I'm going to sell it to any listener right now for $500 cash. I'll do shipping free anywhere in the world. But f for a listener, $500 free shipping. Uh, to anyone else, they have to pay shipping. But uh, if you tell me you're a listener and you pay me, I will in good faith ship this to you. I still have the box. I have the peanuts. I have the packing material. I actually have everything ready because it just came back from Gigabyte. And I'm ready to ship it out today. So if you want this video card, buy it from you. will get a card, a 1080T. Now, the important question is here, Mike, does your wife know that the other one was in good working condition? Yeah, I've kind of set the stage for this. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm an idiot. But, uh, you know, you live and learn, you know, kind of a nice to upgrade. I'm going to try to recover some of my money. If I can't get 500 for it, I'll lower the price. Uh, but we'll see. I'm going to stick at 500 for a while. It's on Facebook Marketplace uh, and several of the Sim Racing Hardware sales groups on Facebook. Or just reach out to me directly and I will hook you up. And I hope to get you this card. I've had a lot of success with it in 2019. All right, let's get into results. David, victory at Monza. Yeah, I continue to have success in the LMP1. Uh, so picked one up at Monza. I've come up just a little short a couple times at Road Atlanta this week, or Road America. I've, I had, I think, my last race is third place or second place. Um, having a lot of success in that. Going to be running with a couple of our Elite West Racing friends in the uh, six-hour races this weekend. And we're also prepping for the 24 as a team here at Tifosi. Yep, uh, we've been practicing. You and I, we had a practice race, invited some of the, li the listeners to come in. Uh, we did have a few people uh, join us. Uh, thank you to those guys that came. Will, you also got a win. Yeah, in fact, I picked up a win last week. I don't think I mentioned on the podcast in the iRacing Rallycross Rookie Series. Um, I think we were at Phoenix. I was running the Subaru. Um, so I kind of figured I want to try to give it another go this week and uh, pick up a win in the Volkswagen. So I could officially knock all three of those cars off my list of cars I've won in. I've won in Fiesta in the past. And uh, it took me about three three races to get the win in. Um, 
was really fast in qualifying all three, had a bad start in one and got tangled up in someone else's mess. Uh, second race I ran was actually a fairly decent size strength of field. Ended up second. I botched my uh, joker lap at Daytona Short and went around the outside of the the banner there. Just completely missed the turn and ruined my shot there. And third time was a charm. Went out there, sat on pole, passed everybody pretty cleanly with the joker um, as far as lap cars go and brought it home. So right now I'm sitting 21st in the Division Three Championship with only two starts out of four weeks. So I'm going to try to go for that championship um, once those drop weeks kick in. Okay. And weren't you trying to win in every car you owned? I tried to. Um, I got uh, pretty much all but two of the dirt oval cars. And I believe just the two off-road trucks, the Pro 2 and Pro 4 left. And I've won on everything on dirt. I don't think I'll ever get all the road and the rest of the oval cars. But um, usually once I find a track and car combo I like, I'll try to stick with it enough to get a win just to Knock it off the list. All right, oh. very good. Uh, my racing uh, the, in the last week or two has been unofficial. It's been Carb Cup, Pickup Cup, Dallara Dash. Sometimes hosted. Uh, sometimes I'll find somebody running something cool hosted, some weird combina- combination. Or uh, sometimes the demo derby, you know, like at uh, Oxford or Lanier or something uh, with damage turned off and uh, anything goes. Those are kind of fun to let off some steam. Uh, if you guys see those in hosted, don't be afraid, man. Jump in. It's fun. All right. And with that, let's get into final thoughts. Uh, final thoughts sponsored by All-Star Graphics. Uh, this will be the last time we talk about them, but uh, we do appreciate them getting involved in our stickers that we had for our 200th episode. Uh, you can get uh, team stickers, banners, car wraps, T-shirts, all kinds of stuff from All-Star Graphics out of Claysburg, PA. Check them out. Final thoughts, David Hall. Uh, I'm on vacation, so obviously I've been racing a lot, uh, and I'm just throwing it up there. I don't know if I'll ever actually get affiliate on Twitch or not because I, I stream so often. Sometimes it's off hours, and I only only have like one or two viewers coming through Twitch and the rest of them through Facebook. Uh, but uh, check it out, twitch.tv slash mixmage. Interact with me. I chat as much as I can. I have even recruited a member to iRacing through Twitch. He actually found my stream on Twitch. And kept asking me questions, and after a few months, he's finally signed up. Yeah, and you've been getting comments and uh, interactions and stuff uh, on your uh, streams uh, recently, so it's definitely picking up. It is. All right, very good. Greg Hectus, final thoughts? Um, I have been MIA for a while on my racing. I tried jumping in a race the other day with David. Uh, that didn't go too well, um, but everything should start coming back here uh as we get into the new year here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm hoping I can race next Monday night in the winter series, but, uh, we'll see if, uh, I get a chance to do it. I know David, uh, we're going to try and get some promo videos out here, getting ready for the 24 hours, uh, and, uh, just, uh, get ready for that race. I'll probably be a couple hours in that race for our team, but not, uh, the main poor part of it, just helping out. Cause, uh, I think that's falling on my birthday weekend, and it's hard to plan anything when you don't know what you're doing that weekend. So, uh, anyways, uh, I look forward to seeing anybody on the track when I finally do get going again. Yeah, we filmed some promo video last night uh, at Daytona for that that shoot. I actually dug up your last video, Greg, from October 
of my Talladega win because I love that music video so much. And I reposted that as our Happy New Year's uh, video. Uh, so looking forward to the next one. Uh, Will Gibson, final thoughts. Now just waiting for the uh, Daytona 24, then the 500. Um, I think I've mentioned in the final thoughts the last month or two, but my been helping my dad get up to speed in iRace, and he's finally got his A license in Oval. Um, and then I had to explain to him that he did not need that to run NIS, and there's a difference between NIS and A fixed and open. So uh, looking forward to the 500 coming up in the upcoming season. I'm going to try to keep tearing up in these rallycross cars um, in my downtime. Yeah, it is kind of confusing that, you know, Peak is the first series in NASCAR, and then you have the Pro, and then you have the Road to Pro, and then you have NIS in terms of prestige. But the NIS, you don't need an A license. You have to be a C license or better. But then there's A fixed in prestige, which is an A open, which is below that in prestige. But you got to have an A uh, license for that. So I can understand where Dad might be yeah, no, he's uh he kind of tanked a little I rating, um, trying to drive safe to get to the uh, the uh, A license, and then he's like, yeah, I'll be ready for the Daytona 500. I'm like, hey, bad news, bud. You uh, he didn't need to do that, but he just was determined, and uh, I think it'd be fun to race with him and you guys for this upcoming season, and just uh, just hopefully just stick to it through the whole season and see where we end up. Well, tell him <laughs> that what he got ready to get into the bottoms. <laughs> and the good news is it, he can run A opens to practice for the NIS. Oh, yeah, 100%. He's actually just sent me a picture of him running at a Michigan in the B car, and I told him just, you stick with that B car, the A car is going to feel easy. So That's true. That is one of the, probably the harder car on the, on the service now. All right, uh, special thanks to Mitchell Hunt, our special guest, for coming on today. Uh, he had to drop off there. Uh, we appreciate Mitchell coming on, telling us about HPM. Uh, we've been trying to get Nick Morris on as well. Uh, he's also on that team. But we'll get him on. Uh, we appreciate them coming on, telling us about their peak uh, aspirations. Uh, my final thought, a new schedule for me for work. I'm going to be on the 12th starting five days a week, 8 to 5, with Thursday and Friday off. So I'll be good for Thursday and Friday for NIS and for the podcast. Uh, and then I should be able to get home in time for the Wednesday uh, NIS Open event. And so I'm excited to be racing on Wednesday nights again, new schedule. And uh, I think it'll be worth it. I'll still be able to run on Sunday nights as well because uh, I get off in time to get home for the race. Uh, I've been streaming, uh, having a lot of luck with mobcrush.com uh, to stream simultaneously to Twitch, Facebook, and YouTube at the same time. Uh, the only trick to it is, is you got to go to the mobcast page and, uh, you know, hit, you know, the title or put in your title and description and hit save before you start the stream. And then it works every time. If you don't go to the website, it doesn't actually work. Um, so that's what I learned. Uh, I'm ready for the Daytona 500. I've been running uh, unofficial all day and I haven't actually finished a race. I keep getting wrecked out. So I'm kind of getting tired of that. Uh, ready to get back to NASCAR racing. Let's go get it, boys. And with that, we'll see you on the track. Later. Thank you for listening to the iRacers Lounge podcast. Make sure to go subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play, Facebook, and Twitter. See you on the track.